How you guys been? Good. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're good. I think so. It's been a bit wild, but good. <laughs> it's like I I changed occupations, right? Like almost like yeah. careers completely. So I'm I'm in a in a state of like, you know, expected chaos. Mm-hmm. Oh, trying to figure goodness. out new things. What, new things, new incomes, new occupation, like new career, really, right? In, in a lot of ways. And and uh, I ended up taking on like the things I'm doing are startups. They're like my own business, a couple of other things that are startups as well. So everything is in the like setting values uh, stage and trying to figure out, you know, what, how do you manage all of those things together? It's true. So, and, and startups, not easy. We all know that. Yeah, it's, and, and I, I am one of those guys who's like, I have an intuition for how I think things should start. Yeah. Um, or rather how I think I would like them to be, but I want to do the work at the beginning so that they're, mm-hmm. they have good values. Like some of them are actual programs for like right. one here in our city and some of those things. So I want to have them operating on good values and good systems and things like that. So that requires like legitimate sitting there and like really thinking things through. Right, writing them out and figuring out all yeah. that stuff. So thinking, what's that? Yeah, it's not just it's not just random going for it, you know. Where yeah. you're like, well, we'll see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. There is a little bit of that, but if I can think it through better at the beginning, I think it'll be help you, helpful for everybody. And one of the things I'm doing is a restorative justice program. And what is that exactly? Oh man, it's wild. It it is essentially working with the justice system. Okay. Um, in and helping people, helping essentially focusing on the victim of a crime and the harm that was caused. So in the in the in the justice system, primarily the punitive justice system that we we all know and love or hate or for whatever reason, depending, uh, focuses on when a crime occurs, it focuses on the on the offender, like okay. who who committed the crime, what should be the punishment. How do we deal with them, right? So lawyers get involved, all those kind of things. Lawyers are trying to get them off. Prosecutors are trying to get get charges laid, all those kind of things. Restorative, and and in a lot of ways, there's the goal is never to get the the offender to take accountability for their actions, but but ultimately to be to be punished for their actions. Restorative justice focuses on the victim. And the harm that was caused by the crime. So less about the charge and more about the harm that was caused. And the goal is essentially to, to bring both victim and, and this is all voluntary, both victim and offender together for a conversation where the offender can take accountability directly to right, like directly from their victim. So what I'm going to be doing is essentially working with. Um, so crime occurs, uh, I start working with the victim and offender separately. Uh This is if they both volunteer to be a part of the programs, I'm helping the victims understand the harm that was caused to them so that they can articulate that. And I'm helping the offender to understand, recognize, and take accountability for the harm that was caused. Then you bring them together in a, in what they call a circle conversation. That's one of the ways that you're doing it. So they can have a restored, in a sense, that's the restoration part uh-huh. of, of it. 
Uh, it's called a healing circle or a peace circle is one of the tools that gets used. And then once you've filled in each of those stories, I'm new to this, so I'm even rough on my elevator pitch here. But um, then collectively that group of people determines the restitution. So what, what it should be the punishment. So it's not okay. easier. It's certainly not easier on a, on an offender, right? It's like, <laughs> like because they, they, ha- they are essentially saying, I did this and I'm willing to take accountability for it. And I'm willing to sit in front of my victim and hear the harm that I caused. And then collectively, we're going to talk about, okay, is there community services hours? Is there, mm-hmm. is there restitution into like financial restitution that needs to take place? Is there time like jail time? Right. those kind of things. And so, so it is another way of, of working with the justice system to come up with something what's that's just, yeah. The prevention of crime. Yes. Yeah. So what's wild about it is there's a, there's an 80% chance that they, that that offender doesn't reoffend after facing their victim, because it, it just does something to you, right? You see the harm you caused, you accept that. And yeah, statistically, it's 80% mm-hmm. of, of them don't reoffend. Wow. And the victim also. Yeah. And then on the victim side, depending on what harm was caused, um, because, because the punitive justice system is set up to deal with the offender, yes. the, the victims often end up being kind of lost in the shuffle. And so in, in a lot of ways, that grows all kinds of other issues like resentment and so you know right, right victim whatever somebody uh, breaks into your house i'm, I'm le- legitimately just throwing out an example somebody breaks into your house if you just imagine like we could do it right now like what do you suppose if somebody broke into your house today well the charge would be breaking and entering but what harm do you think would be caused trauma ptsd anxiety Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, paranoia. Yeah. Lack of trust. Yeah. Right. Like, and the list probably could go on. So to statistically, if you don't have some way of working that through, so whether you go to a counselor, you start dealing with, the, you know, you, you've got solid friends that give you good advice about how to deal with your frustration, your anger, all those kind of things. And, and what happens then if so a guy breaks into your house, you're doing all that, all that happens to you, all that harm is caused and they get off on a technicality, which is legitimately the lawyer's job. Mm-hmm. It's interesting though, because the victim will not go out and, you know, get resentful and rob someone else or break and enter. But what's going to happen is they might rob the joy of their families and loved ones through paranoia, through trauma, through anxiety, yeah. And yeah, that causes yeah. stress and strain in a, a yeah, friendship. And actually, Zach, you'll be you'll be shocked to hear this, but in breaking and entering cases, anger and resentment are something that definitely grows. And there's a high chance that those people will act out violently in some way in the next five years. Wow. Road rage, domestic violence, those kind of things, because they don't have anywhere, they haven't dealt properly with their anger mm-hmm. and with, with the trauma of the event. Mm-hmm. So legitimately, a victim can actually become a higher risk true. Uh, when when they haven't been walked through a healthy process of healing. Right. And uh, yeah, so that's what 
one of your jobs. <laughs> That's one of my jobs. I'm, I'm yeah. legitimately learning all about that. I'm taking classes. I'm doing a whole bunch of things like that. I have to write that program. And then we're, we have to, we have to get it going. And I'm, I'm actually hoping for like, you know, some simple cases right off the bat, like, a, you know, maybe just a, you know, graffiti on somebody's fence would be great. That'd be easy one compared to a breaking and entering or something worse. But in, uh, in Canada, restorative justice has been around for about 30 years. Um, it just hasn't, it's an interesting thing. This is my observation working with people for so long. We want, we have come to understand that justice means punishment. So when something, if we get justice, it means somebody got punished. But the actual word justice means to make right. Huh. And so if we think justice, if we think punishing another person makes it right, well, ask a victim how they feel about that. Does it make it, does it, make it right for them? Because my observation of what I've learned over the years is that victims don't walk away from that feeling like everything has been made, been made right. It's true. And, and a lot of them, in fact, go away resentful that the charge wasn't as, as harsh as they wish it would have been or, or whatever, right? And so restorative justice is not light on crime in any way. In fact, it's a harder process for the offender to, to do the work of facing their victims and to take accountability for their actions. Now, how hard would it be for an offender to feel convinced to go ahead and say, let me face my victim. Yeah. So here's what's interesting. I, I think it'd be incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I, I, I'll find myself selling this, I think to, to offenders is the, the freedom of conscience. Like my, my, I, I know some people who have been charged with different things, <laughs> you know, and um Many of them are are trapped in their own minds by by the things and the harm that they've caused. And I do think that's that is one of those things where you know seeking forgiveness and in a grown up sort of a responsible way is important. Now tell me this: when people are trapped in their own minds and finding a way to seek forgiveness. How have you seen people deal with it? And how have you personally dealt with it? And Tara as well for yourself. Tara, Tara. 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. I got lots to say about that. Do you want to go first? No, I need to think. You got to think? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, in my previous occupation, I was a pastor. We talked a lot about forgiveness. Sometimes I talked about forgiveness with, with God and all that kind of stuff. Right. But, but a lot of what I talked about was more about how do we forgive others? around us. And I, I listened, I, I, I think that forgiveness, this is my definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is accepting the burden that somebody else has placed on you. So when somebody does something that causes you harm, you, you carry a burden. So what is that burden? Exactly. I guess it would depend right on what, 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 what happened. But when you, when you do something to hurt another, you're placing that wound on them, that harm. I think that learning to, to forgive others is about accepting that, that it caused harm. Right. And then I think in the accepting and, and naming those things, 
we are we are in a far better position to set it down and actually forgive and be free. Mm-hmm. Like actually be free. That doesn't mean be right. It means be free. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a saying, forgive but don't forget. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where's the line there? I think I think forgetting takes time. Um, and I think that there are some things depending on your personality and we could talk Enneagram on that one, but I think some people are able to actually forgive and forget quicker than others. Mm-hmm. And I also think sometimes like our experiences like in life, both good and bad are our teachers. They, they teach us. So I think you can legitimately forgive somebody and let it go. Well, I'm not so sure forgetting is the right thing. Yeah. Like, could you let go of the resentment, the pain and the the hurt, like the emotional part? But I think forgetting is to just like set yourself up to have it potentially happen again. Or not learn from it potentially too. Like carrying that with you. There's a line of naivety right there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And if we see each of our experiences in life as, as opportunities to grow, like if that's what we're legitimately doing, I hope we are. Mm-hmm. Where does someone seek and find forgiveness within themselves, their mind? Boy. Forgiving yourself. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. How do you forgive yourself? What is a way that people can be gentler, kinder, softer with themselves? No oh boy. I think the Enneagram would be a helpful tool with that because it. Yeah. That's provides, one of my other jobs. <laughs> yeah. It is, but it provides so much self-compassion. That's what I think you need. To, it's a practice of self-compassion. I would guess that's what I've needed. So, yeah. And I, I think you're hundred percent right. I think that mostly like self-awareness work and use of the Enneagram as a tool for growth is, is about understanding the way that you were made, the way that you see and accepting that. Now, it doesn't mean not not trying to change anything in that or grow in that. It's just to say, okay, I am a human who was made like this. So how can I learn to be more aware of, of my blinders, of the places, you know, like, you know, you put the, the blinder up on the horses, right? And, and I think we all live with a certain degree of blinders on. And um, the, the problem is we don't, because... There are blind spots. We don't see them. Ignorance is bliss, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it requires practice and it, it takes yeah. time. And then you, then, then you get married and then you don't need blinders anymore. Your spouse will point it out for you or whatever. I'm just, <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be very clear about your blind spots. Yeah. But, or you have kids, which is, mm-hmm. which is another way of like really having all of your like insecurities and inconsistencies you know just teach a teenager to drive sometime and you'll find out all the ways that you don't you're not a very good driver anymore <laughs> or make the toast run for your toddler yeah or or make i the do toast that daily, exactly, daily. <laughs> i'm told very clearly how wrong i am at that so i i would say this though i would say part of growth and, and i've learned this in my mm-hmm. own life is being able to slow down enough and to be compassionate towards myself and go, okay, Evan, what, what are you missing here? Mm. What, what, what am I not seeing? And sometimes that requires, you know, you get a counselor, you get a coach, 
you get a friend that will actually tell you the truth mm-hmm. and you, you work through some of those kinds of things. But I think that the reality is you always need to slow down a bit. You need to take the time out of the day and, and legitimately, whatever it is, whether it's go for a walk, meditate, journal, journal, right? Like there's a lot of different ways, practices you can do, but it is about slowing, slowing yourself down so you can focus your perspective your mind to, to pay attention to these things like, and a willingness to be vulnerable in those moments and with others. Like I hate hate vulnerability. (laughs) Self-compassion and vulnerability are pretty much required (laughs) for that work. You know, we hear about that word a lot though, vulnerability and being vulnerable, being open. It's a, it's a blessing. Um, yet people are afraid. They're afraid to Mm -hmm. speak their voice. Um, share their story because it's the fear of judgment. Maybe my employer or someone, a potential client might see this and might think I'm quote unquote fucked Mm -hmm. up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And will not work with me or will not hire me. And, you know, I might not find uh, the love of my life because I am this way. Now these, Mm -hmm. this dialogue that we tell ourselves, um, how does someone open that? box and i know we've talked about this on the unpacked podcast your guys mm-hmm. podcast yeah where there's that shadow and how do we face it and slowly go through things and say let's overcome this gently yeah yeah okay so there's something that came to mind while you were talking so it's like i i think there's a difference between vulnerability and transparency oh god i'm glad you're gonna oh i like that <laughs> okay, okay so so the way i just describe it, right is like it's like even as a pastor I always used to get these pastoral reviews and people say, oh, you're so vulnerable. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable up there and all these kind of things. <laughs> and it was a funny thing when I realized I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not being vulnerable. I'm being transparent. And here's the way I would say it. Being transparent is about allowing people to see the real you. It's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Choosing to be vulnerable is about allowing people into your story into speaking into your life and being a part of even the healing part of, of what that looks like. Like, so I can say, well, I'm completely fucked up mm-hmm. and that's transparent. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to say, Hey Tara, I I'm totally screwed up here. I need you to like help me to figure out these things in my life and walk alongside of me and see how really weak I am. Because I always used to, mm, this is what I always used to do. Right? Before I would get up and talk, I already had it figured out in my head. I knew what I, like. Right. So I would give this heartfelt story about some time I'd messed up in my life and people go, oh man, that's so vulnerable. I'm like, oh no, that's a past story. Mm-hmm. I'm not inviting you into my present moment here of vulnerability. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you about something I learned like a long time ago. <laughs> Does that make sense? Great way to look at it. That totally makes sense. Yeah. So vulnerability is inviting people into the here and now, the present moment. Where it's not figured out. Yeah. Where it's a shit storm or it's a dumpster <laughs> fire going on, right? Like things are, things are on fire. <laughs> so I think most oftentimes people are transparent out there and the vulnerability aspect is who you got on your, in your corner, I guess. Yeah. Say it like that. Who's in your corner? Who's, who's really got your back through the, the shits? Mm-hmm. And right? also and, is willing to just accept you as you are and remind you who you are. Like they're not going to oh, try and yeah. fix you in it. 
Because if you, I, I don't know if you've had those experiences where you've shared with someone and then all of a sudden they have a ton of great advice or the way to just like clean up that mess real quick and they're ready to walk, just like rush past that. Yeah. And that's not really what you need in those moments. Oh, Good okay. Lord, that's Tara. Hands down. Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it's almost like drinking, right? It's, you got to say, okay, I'm done drinking. You had to make that decision or I had to make that decision instead of, everyone else saying, Hey, I think you drink a little too much. Just mm -hmm. stop. Just stop. Yeah. <laughs> hey, mm -hmm. thanks. Thanks tips on that. But this is, this is a me demon I had to face. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I wonder too, like, well, so you guys are communications people. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm not going to harp on social media so much, but what we're seeing on social media is transparency. Right. But we're calling it vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So you share, okay, I got this, alcohol problem mm -hmm. and you it was beautiful like the, the other night that, that you did that it was a, a transparent moment but you didn't invite people in to help you solve or work no. through right alcoholism yep. that, that would be vulnerable and you probably did that yeah I'm not, online. Not, not online but uh, you know like i mentioned in the unpacked podcast or guys podcast i have certain angels around me, which were individuals mm -hmm. that out of the blue from all over Alberta um, came and, um, you know, guided me and helped me. And those are the individuals that in the late nights that I spoke with yeah. and helped me. And that, those were the people I was vulnerable with. Mm -hmm. Now the story out of it, yes, that's transparency, but there, there is a fine line there is how much do you reach out via social media to be vulnerable versus via social media to be transparent? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I do think it is one of those, like, I'm not saying that I would say your general posts, not your general, anyone's general posts on social media <laughs> are, are transparent. Mm -hmm. Yes. But, but I would also say, um, because <laughs> I, it's a funny thing is people go, Oh, your, your posts are so authentic and mm. so whatever. And it's like, mm. uh, like, I just, I, I, I hesitate to, to kind of agree with that. I think it's still curated. Yeah. I think you can have a level of authenticity when you intend to post or yeah. share something publicly that people are drawn to, but I don't think it's the same yeah. as being fully authentic or fully mm. showing up as vulnerable mm. with people. Well, I think we all have that grown-up voice and we have the real voice. Mm -hmm. um, the Japanese mm -hmm. actually say that we, as human beings, have three masks. The one that's oh. public, one that's with our friends and family, and one that's truly who we are alone. Mm. And I do believe that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, was, I love that. Yeah, that's cool. I always used to talk like, who are you when no one's looking? Yeah. Mm. Right? And totally. And... And I do think that, that that is one of those moments where it's like, if you don't, where you practice compassion on yourself, because this, this is my theory. If you don't do the work of learning to be compassionate towards yourself, then it seems to me that any compassion you, you give out to others is fake. Because you don't know how to give it out. You don't even know what it is. Mm -hmm. Like, it might look like compassion. But it seems to me you can only give away what you have. Tara, Evan, what is compassion to you guys? Oh, 
<laughs> well, you just went on a whole like. I know I brought up the word. Now I have to describe what it is. Yeah, you should have to be the one to do it. Because everyone describes it differently and everyone mm-hmm. feels it differently. So, mm-hmm. yeah, in a lot of ways, I would say compassion is about uh, being capable of seeing the truth yeah. in ourselves and others and still being able to love at the same degree of like the same depth. We can be compassionate towards people's situations that they're in, mm-hmm. but I do think it requires seeing the truth and then and having it not change necessarily our love towards them. We might have to change our actions towards them. Mm-hmm but not necessarily the depth of our love for someone. Like, so I can be compassionate with somebody with an addiction, mm-hmm. right? See that because they've, they've allowed me to see that. Um, and, but it doesn't, it doesn't need to change how much I love that person, but I, I probably shouldn't be doing the activity that like, I think I should be more cautious and careful about what I do with them and in front of them because I love them. Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that doesn't mean forever but but you know when you're in the heat of you know alcoholism and you, you're just figuring these things out like how loving is it or compassionate is it for somebody to you know drink in front of you because that well we've heard mm-hmm. your story and you have a unique story in the way that you you went through that but so yeah. uh, in even other people's cases maybe. absolutely the majority right. of individuals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even to just be considerate of those things. Yeah. What do you think? You know lots about compassion. You work with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I like what you said. I think it's true. I think it's about being known and seen and being able to connect on that level. And yeah, I don't think it's about judgment. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. about seeing someone's heart and and seeing your own heart in that mm-hmm. too. So being able to find that place where you could connect to see Oh, I could find myself in that position as well. Mm-hmm. Like I'm yeah. not better. I could be there too. Yeah. So any action you've taken or any thought you've had or anything you've done, I could find myself in the same position. So right. how would I want you to lovingly respond to me? And right. then to be able to turn that around on myself yeah. too. Yeah. You bring up social media, Evan. Um, you know, there's good and bad to it. Mm-hmm. Um judgment um feeling like you're not enough because xyz is doing this and living their best life and here i am doing laundry yeah (laughs) (laughs) there's a few so you just remind me i got a load in right now actually i'm like haven't folded anything (laughs) you know there's the real life of who we really are and then there's the social media life that is a perception or one angle exactly Mm -hmm. how does someone figure out that they are comfortable um, being them and not being that fake individual out there okay so i think i think part of it is slowing down Mm -hmm. like i actually think the practice of slowing down helps you to see yourself differently But we need content. We need content. We need to post, post, post. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And hey, 
don't get me wrong. It, like the lifelong dream of is to have a video of mine go viral. Okay. So, and I don't care if it's for doing some stupid shit. I just wanted to go viral, but, but, and who doesn't like when you're real, you know, if, yeah. if ever Instagram changes their rules and reels actually st- start getting watched again, like that, like, <laughs> or you get to see how many people are watching. Yeah. I want all that. I want all of it, but um, it is fake. It, it's as fake as the backdrop behind me here. Like I know that right. people can't see us here, but it's like we're literally in a cement basement with a nice backdrop behind Which us. I absolutely fake. love. I yeah, absolutely you, and love. that was you you said that right that last <laughs> podcast. You're like, oh man, I love your what yes. room are you in? Show us the rest of the room. And I'm like, well, here's the studs on the ceiling that you can see in <laughs> the cement walls everywhere else. It is fake. And I, I think that this is one of those things where I, I'm not sure if I'm on a tangent now, but it's like I think. It is ironic to me that we were made to connect and be in relationship with each other. I don't, I don't think it matters what God or if you don't even believe in a God. I think we all have a strong urge to feel a deep connection to others. Mm-hmm. And we all want to be known. Mm-hmm. Even the ones that say stuff. <laughs> even the ones that say that they don't want to be known. They're like, I just want to be in the background. I'm not about being known. See, Oh man, maybe that's my Enneagram type number or whatever, but I, I find that hard to believe. I think we all do want to be known. Like I'm someone who likes working behind the scenes, but I still want to be known. I just don't necessarily want to be known from the front of the room on a stage. Yeah. And that I- doesn't excite me, but an individual conversation like this, like, right. yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely would agree that it's like to different degrees and different ways people want to be known. But because we, we um, post what we, what we want people to see, I think we often find ourselves lonely. Even like in person though, like it doesn't just have to be social media. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we can show up to things and very easily like put on the masks. Like you said, even though you want to be known, it's just so scary, vulnerable sometimes. Mm-hmm. Cause what if you're, you know, we all have different things, but I would be thinking like, I don't want to be rejected. I want you to love me. So I'll curate a way for you to love me. (laughs) So you almost start emulating what's in the room and you start kind of mirroring some Mm -hmm. of the, the steps or what those movements that individuals are doing or how they're interacting. You start doing that. So do you lose your identity of who you exactly are? You can, but I also don't think you get to be loved to the depth that you desire. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I realized through the, through the pandemic, um, obviously getting sober and then creating the podcast. It's okay to be you and it's nice, you know, it's, and the people that don't vibe with you, that's okay. You know, it's no hate, no harm, nothing. Just it's all good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Obviously well, there know, are times that you want it to work out, but yeah, <laughs> we're humans. Yeah. yeah. Like I definitely would say like, I know somebody who just did a job, job, had a job interview on Monday. And one of the things I had said to him before, and he was obviously freaking out, nervous, right? Am I going to perform? Am I going to do well? Are they going to see the best parts of me and all those kind of things? And one of the things I said to him was like, Hey, uh, I know this maybe sounds like terrible advice for doing an interview, but it's like, you probably should be yourself because on your first day of work, at least by your third day, third Monday of your work, <laughs> you're going to be yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
maybe start there. And if this is a job for you, then it, it's going to work. But, and you can go, you know. but how much of us are we or ourselves are we? Because, you know, for generations, even before social media, we all have that business voice. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, as a pastor, I'm sure you had a voice when you're, you're speaking and then one-on-one, yep. it's a different yep. voice. No, you're absolutely right. No, it's his pastor voice for sure. But, but, <laughs> but, I just but slow that, are you down fake? And make it sound sexy. Exactly. <laughs> My sexy <laughs> pastor's voice. <laughs> there, make sure you keep that in. That's a good Definitely one. Definitely need that. No, I I think um, that was always the biggest challenge of being a pastor was that, and, and especially in, inside the context of the religious world where people have expectations of what a pastor is supposed to be like, and some other occupations are just like that. There is a temptation to live that way, to be that. What's a pastor and what's a priest? Well, they're essentially the same thing. One, a priest is, is working for, for typically Catholic, the Catholic or Anglicans and pastors are more like Protestant, like evangelical, different denominations that way, but essentially they're the same. So although the Catholic priests have different rules around marriage, all those kind of things, whereas Protestant pastors are married, have kids, all those kind of things. Okay. Drink. Some do. do. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you this though. One of the greatest challenges for me as a pastor was to be myself. And like, and I, I had good days and bad days, but mostly I was myself throughout the 28 years of being a pastor. And there were people who left our church because I was being myself. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it hurt. It was hard. It was definitely hard. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, what do you want? You want me to be a fake person? Because I'm the leader of an organization that's calling, trying to call out the authenticity of its people. Because if we don't find out, if we're not authentic, oh man, you're going to get me out of soapbox. <laughs> if we aren't willing to look at ourselves in the light of truth, whatever that is, if you're a liar, if you're a whatever, it's like, if you're not willing to look at yourself in the light of truth, then you should not expect to be a growing person. And if you're not a growing person in your faith, it's not faith. Mm. It's, it's legitimately religion. And I'm not a huge fan of religion. That's one of those kind of funny things that, yeah, yeah. people always so, somebody asked me just the other day, so are you not going to be religious anymore? <laughs> she asked me this. I was like, oh, I was never really religious. Yeah. I was a so, terrible religious person. Would terrible. religious be more morals and faith be more values? Well, a religion is something you do regularly. You can religiously brush your teeth. Mm-hmm. right highly so, highly advised yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah highly advised i highly advise yeah, especially if you're in junior high and you like to find a you know girlfriend girlfriend boyfriend. boyfriend um this is this is what i would say religion is the system of knowing god it is not god mm-hmm. so your religion is your system of knowing god it comes with the the rules and presuppositions are required for you to be a part of that community, whether that's you go to church on Sunday, you go to the mosque or you go to like wherever it is that you go, that is your religion, but it is not your God. It's the system and it's a broken system. 
because it was created by by man. Mm-hmm. So the way that I used to talk about, boy, we're really getting into religion now. What we really should be seeking is the heart of God. Mm-hmm. And if we could seek the heart of God more and not what we have come to believe is the agenda of God, I think we'd have a whole lot more inclusive, open faith communities. Mm-hmm. And I say that plurally, and I think that would be good for the world. And look but, at this beautiful life we all have, this being mm-hmm. of species and creatures and nature. And there's so much. This thing just happened. There's something greater than all of us, I believe, out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.